The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Bible to the book of Ruth, this short love story of the Old Testament. We considered this book on Mother's Day a little over a month ago to consider the God-given design in women, in many women, to yearn for children and the calling upon those women to care for young and to raise them up in the nurture in the admission of the Lord. And uh, as I thought about this book months ago, anticipating preaching Mother's Day and Father's Day evening, realizing that in this love story of this couple, we see two beautiful shining examples of virtue and faith. And uh, just as Ruth speaks to every woman through her trials, her suffering, her hardship, we, I think we find something attractive in Boaz as well that can speak to the hearts of all men. Boaz, the kindred, the, kin, uh, the kinsman redeemer of Ruth, as a man of strength, of valor, and gives us a picture of what it means to be a man of God. And so this Father's Day, I want us to consider this calling to which men aspire to be protectors, to be leaders in the likeness of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. I will not read from chapter 1, as we considered that pretty heavily last time, but I will pick up in chapter 2, reading the first 16 verses, and stop there, and later on in the message, I will consider some verses from chapter 3. So if you would follow, Ruth chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth... The Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, Whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, She is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. 
At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort, and I have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And do not rebuke her. This is God's holy and inspired word. Let us pray. Father, we are touched by this act of kindness and compassion in this love story. And yet we know that in this story, this example of this couple, there are deeper truths of your great affection for us as our kinsman redeemer, as our loving Heavenly Father. We pray that you would shed light upon this text. Give us understanding from your word by your spirit. We do ask these things. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a robin's nest in one of the large bushes of our backyard. And Mr. and Mrs. Robin have returned annually now for about three years straight to build up their household. And uh, I've jokingly said to my wife, I'm surprised that Mrs. Robin has not insisted upon an upgrade yet. This nest being about eye level, giving me easy access to peek into the nest and uh, not as high up as it should be and perhaps not as big as it could be as they have four little ones that are quickly diminishing uh, space all around them. Looks a little bit like our home. But much like my wife, this uh, Mrs. Robin is, appears content although gets a little nervous when I or my children pass by. Unlike, well, in God's design, in the animal kingdom, we see not many animals pairing up in couples for longevity, but we see in the bird kingdom a fine example of the way God has designed the requirement of males for the proper care and raising of their young to maturity. While we usually find Mrs. Robin nearest to the nest to provide warmth and comfort to the little ones, Mr. Robin is usually not too far off, capturing and bringing back tasty vittles to fill hungry bellies. Mr. Robin faithfully endures the clamor of the nest, holding out hope that they will grow on to maturity and flourish in God's good creation. This admiral bird, who fulfills his role as provider 
and protector provides a profound lesson to many men in our all too often dysfunctional society. I don't need to tell you about the damaging impacts of absent fathers, whether due to out-of-wedlock pregnancies, untimely divorce, or just plain neglect. Children who grow up without the loving and healthy presence of a father are more prone to problems in school, to drug addictions, promiscuous behavior, given to violence, eating disorders, depression, same-sex attraction, imprisonment, and all kinds of other societal ills that we know too much about from our news media. One has to search far and wide to find a healthy example or a positive role model of a man on television programming, the likes of Homer Simpson, Al Bundy, Ray Romano, are more buffoons who lampoon this idea of male headship in the family. Seems long gone are the days of Charles Ingalls or Heathcliff Huxtable from the 70s and 80s. Thankfully, Scripture gives us at least one good example, a classic example of God's idea of a man who's been commissioned as a husband and a father. Boaz, when he comforts and reaches out to Ruth, illustrates her journey from Moab to Israel as coming under the wings of God Almighty. Ruth will turn this phrase on end in chapter 3, when she offers her proposal, asking Boaz to cover her with his wings. Like the faithful male Robin, Boaz dutifully and happily fulfills his calling to provide for a vulnerable woman and with her raise up godly offspring. We consider this book as a whole as we first look at Boaz's many admirable qualities. But look beyond this to see how he points us to the person and work of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Well, for starters, we can see that Boaz embodies a kind of masculine strength. He's introduced in chapter 2, verse 1, as a man of standing. The ESV translation calls him a worthy man. Now, this is actually two Hebrew words, two descriptive words, that both fundamentally mean strength of a kind. The first word refers to a mighty man of physical power. But the second word is more nuanced, used in terms of wealth, social standing, virtue, and character. And when combined, these two words can be, can be coined a mighty man of valor, one of the highest compliments the Old Testament pays to a man of character and great accomplishment. Interestingly, Boaz will use this second word to describe Ruth in chapter 3, verse 11, as a woman of noble character. The same word used in the epilogue to the ideal Proverbs 31 woman. We notice in verse 4 that the first words out of Boaz's mouth are a blessing in the Lord's name upon his workers. 
Notice how these men bless him right back in the Lord's name. His is a household grounded in the Lord. His men respect him. He has a delight to work for. He is productive. He has work for them to do. We can presume safely that he pays them a fair wage. He treats them well. He has a foreman and many servants, so he's a man of means, a property owner, who is able to employ others. Boaz is a respected pillar of the community. Interestingly, Solomon will name the north pillar of the temple Boaz. Perhaps a tribute to his great-great-grandfather. So whether it's named after his forefather or a contemporary donor or one of Solomon's sons, the meaning, we believe, says something along the lines of established in strength. God has designed fathers to be pillars of the family, the community, and in the church. And fathers who find their strength in the Lord are able to bear weighty burdens on their, soul, on their shoulders. Paul says to his son in the faith, Timothy, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Men who follow Christ find a strength that the world knows nothing about, not bound up in the strength of our bodies or the skill of our accomplishments, but a strength characterized by a humble trust in God Almighty and his son, who is the strong man, the one who defeats our foes. In verse 5, Boaz notices Ruth. He inquires of the foreman, who then speaks very well of her. In verse 8 and following, we see how big-hearted this man is. Boaz does not despise Ruth for gleaning in his fields. He is not concerned about his own estate, his reputation, or anything having to do with himself at all, but merely for Ruth's welfare. He recognizes that this young single woman, this foreigner, is vulnerable. And so he speaks to her, warning her, exhorting her to glean only in his field where she will have protection. Naomi, later on in chapter 2, will confirm that the danger is real, for she could suffer physical or sexual assault in a stranger's field. Boaz has many servant girls who are neither neglected nor abused. He directs his men not to harm or lay a hand upon the young Ruth. Ruth humbly and respectfully responds to Boaz's kindness And he goes on to demonstrate a man who pays attention to details. He is thoughtful, discerning. He is a man who is engaged with the affairs of his household. He can recount to Ruth her story of faithfulness to Naomi, her mother-in-law, and her great faith in the Lord to come to God's people. Boaz demonstrates an intimate grasp a personal knowledge of Israel's covenant God in sympathy, recognizing the woman's pain and loss of her husband, her family, leaving behind her people and nation, goes on to pray for her 
that the Lord might richly reward her, might compensate for the things she has lost. Perhaps he didn't realize that he would be the answer to his own prayer, becoming the one under whom Ruth would find refuge and under his protective wings. Boaz will embody the kindness of the Lord when he generously exhorts his men to leave behind extra droppings, extra food for her to glean, to take grain back to Naomi, who is astounded at the great mass of food that she has collected that day. And she says, the Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. Perhaps ultimately speaking of the Lord here, who is being represented well by Boaz. So here in Act 1 of this love story, when the couple meets here in Chapter 2, we find in Boaz a figure of strength and compassion. A type, a prototype, a forerunner who foreshadows the nature of our Redeemer. Jesus was a leader of men. Men dropped everything to heed his call and follow him. They admired his strength of moral character, his determined will, his boldness, his fearlessness before corrupt authorities. In Jesus, we see the kind of compassion that every man, woman, and child hungers for. Try and survive and thrive in a broken and fallen world. A strength and compassion that politicians may pledge but cannot deliver. It's repeated often in the Gospels that Jesus would come upon a situation and see people in their need, move towards them in compassion, and then act take deliberate action on their behalf. It says in Matthew 9, 36, that when Jesus saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd and goes on to teach them and to heal them. Jesus came in the likeness of his heavenly Father, of whom David writes in Psalm 103, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are but dust. Like father, like son. The apple doesn't fall very far from the tree. Even men who have had relatively poor examples from their earthly fathers, may find strength and the source of compassion from their heavenly Father. If we as a church, as households of faith, would desire to see our homes, our community, and our church transformed by the gospel, let us learn how to lead men to Christ, to follow him, and to leave a legacy of faith and blessing to future generations. I turn now to chapter 3. and want to read in verse 7 and following 
skipping over for time's sake the dialogue between Naomi and Ruth, some matters, uh, material that I covered last time, where Naomi initiates with Ruth the plan by which Ruth would make such a proposal, a bold proposition to Boaz. And so coming into his bedchambers in, under the cover of darkness, we pick up here in verse 7 in chapter 3 where the author writes, Now when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. When this very intimate encounter between the couple in which Ruth brings forth her proposal, we see, we find the verb to know, Hebrew verb of personal intimacy, even sexual connotations in, uh, depending upon the context, at least five times. This is the climax of the love story where Ruth, being nudged by Mother Bird Naomi out of the nest, takes yet another great risk of faith. How will Boaz respond to her? As we just read, we see that he mans up and rises to the challenge. Well, the part that I didn't read, we find that Naomi, the eager mother, driven by her own grand maternal instinct, devises with Ruth a scheme by which they might lure their prey. Proverbs says how useless to spread a net in full view of all the birds. And so under cover of darkness, Ruth, elegantly clothed and perfumed, waits until Boaz has been satisfied by food and wine and sleep. She comes into his chamber And when the man is aroused, awoken from his slumber, and questions her, Ruth is ready with her bold request. Spread the corner of your garment, literally your wings, over me, since you are a kinsman, redeemer. Now we might imagine that a lesser man might be irritated by such a disturbance in the night. An insecure man might be intimidated by such a brash, bold initiative. A roguish man might take advantage of a vulnerable woman. A selfish man might simply send her away or make excuses why he cannot fulfill this responsibility by which a close relative would raise up sons to carry on the name of her dead husband and maintain the property rights in Israel. 
And yet Boaz, with daring wisdom and graciousness, does none of these things. He recognizes the great need of this vulnerable woman, the opportunity to redeem that which has been lost, perhaps even cherishing his own desire for a godly helpmate. He responds with flattered delight. He calls her act one of kindness. He commends her for not flirting or going after younger men. He assures her by exhorting her to not fear. Unlike many men who cower at the prospect of commitment, he pledges himself to her on the spot. Boaz will justify his actions, a man who recognizes a gem when he sees one, referring to her impeccable reputation amongst the community townspeople. Boaz demonstrates patient restraint, even showing deference to a other, another relative of Elimelech who is closer of kin. And so, in our lingo, Lingos has first dibs on Ruth. With prudence, he keeps her there for the night for her own safety, but wisely sends her away before the others have awoken so that her reputation and his are not harmed by the gossip of others. In being a man of his word, Naomi is able to give full assurance to Ruth that he will settle the matter that very day, which he indeed does. As I studied this text, I've wondered about the life of Boaz and who he was, and even kind of wondered about what his marital status was. It's possible that he was married, though it seems unlikely in the way the story is told. He apparently was an older man, perhaps middle-aged. He references younger men who might have been suitors for Ruth. We don't know whether he had ever been married or had children of his own. Perhaps he was a widower with children who were grown. But we do know one very important detail from Scripture that sheds light on this situation and Boaz's response to it. Boaz was a son who had been given a wonderful and godly legacy from his father. His father was named Salmon. You've perhaps not heard of him, not commonly referenced in Scripture. And this was a man who did something quite remarkable. It wasn't a great military deed. In fact, he is best known for the woman that he married. The woman that he married was a bold woman, a woman of great faith. Like Ruth, she also was a foreigner. It must have taken great courage for Salmon to marry this woman because she was none other than Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute. This woman had turned away from immoral service to pagan gods to pledge her allegiance to Yahweh and provided great assistance to Joshua's spies. Salmon left an example for his son Boaz of what it means to look at a woman's heart as more important and to overrule all prejudices one might have against pedigree 
and one's past. Boaz knew something about grace and redemption, coming from good stock of strong and bold parents and reared and ready to be an instrument of God's compassion and deliverance to someone in need. Every father leaves a legacy to his sons and daughters, whether good for good or ill. A father's good example or poor example, his acceptance or rejection, has a profound impact on his children's identity, character, and life direction. Fathers have power to raise warriors for the Lord's army or scoundrels that plague society. Boaz had been equipped with a legacy of redemptive grace and is enabled to pass on another legacy. As he and Ruth come together and their union is blessed in chapter 4 and they have Israel's most celebrated hero, King David, would come from their union. And of course, from this wonderful line, we have the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Redeemer not only of Israel but the whole world, the promised one who would crush the serpent's head. The man, Jesus Christ, was given a legacy of faithful fathers and courageous mothers, the likes of Tamar, his mother Mary. And in his life and ministry, we see the majesty of the father-son dynamic. At Jesus' baptism, we hear these words, This is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus again receives these words of affirmation at his transfiguration when the father cries, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. In the hearing of Peter, James, and John, empowered by such fatherly affection, Jesus would fulfill his grisly and glorious mission to be our kinsman redeemer the lost children of Israel, sons and daughters who would become co-heirs with him and have a legacy, an inheritance that can never be taken away from us. Yes, Boaz teaches us something about godly manhood, a man who waited patiently for the right woman who could see her heart and not chase after what the world prizes, He gives us an example of dignity of passing on a legacy to children who would go on to do greater deeds than himself. I remember reading faintly a few years ago about Jonathan and Sarah Edwards. Someone had done a study of their descendants and just noting the vast numbers of statesmen, justices, college presidents, and all kinds of influential people to bless American society. And forgive me if I don't get my details quite right on this, but remembering the story of an itinerant preacher who was traveling about, whose son was having trouble, a teenage son getting into problems, the mother overwhelmed and calling on her husband to come back home, to give up his ministry, and to take a much smaller ministry at a small church to be at home daily for his son. This son would go on to become Dr. James Dobson, 
the founder of Focus on the Family, whose ministry has blessed many in their efforts to raise godly children. Whether it's raising our own children or serving as spiritual fathers and mothers to covenant children in the church, we all have a calling to join God in the fathering task who seeks to bless the world with his image bearers who reflect the strength and the compassion of Jesus Christ. This Father's Day, may we glorify God, thank him for our earthly fathers, even for those who may have disappointed us, to give respect to whom respect is due. But may we, like Ruth, take up refuge and rest in the home of our kinsman redeemer, the one who sought us, who clothed us, who protects us, who provides for us and promises to return as we await the day of our glorious consummation. Until then, may we take up refuge and hide under the wings of our mighty God and Heavenly Father. Let us pray. Father, you are indeed a husband to the husbandless, a father to the fatherless. You are a merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We thank you for what you have accomplished for us in Jesus Christ, giving us a full redemption through his precious blood. May we glorify you. May we delight in you. May we rest in you all of our days. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.